If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, if you would, turn to John the 13th chapter. John the 13th chapter. You remember a couple of goals we started uh, a series of sermons in the Gospel of John. We've been in the 13th chapter now a couple of weeks, and uh, we will continue to be there today. And I want to talk to you today about trusting God, trusting Jesus. Now, if you ask me how many sermons that I've done along that line of thinking, I would not be able to answer you because I don't know. But uh, I've done uh, a, a bunch about that many times. But there comes a time in our lives when, when we truly question our trust in God. More than likely... It has happened to every one of us in this room at some point or another because of a certain situation that happened in our lives. You know, maybe, maybe it was a wayward child that, that, that got involved in drugs or alcohol or wound up in jail for some reason. And you didn't really know which way to turn. And all of your energy was sapped from your body because you was concerned about your child and what your child was doing. So all of your thoughts were involved in that situation at that particular time. But you begin to wonder, why is God putting us through this particular situation at this particular time? Why is this happening to me, Why is God allowing me to suffer from, from this situation? And in it all, your trust in God fades just a little bit. You know, right now the situation that we are in, we're, we're in this drought. And I've heard, I heard this past week on, on uh, uh, Ag Day that this is the second driest year in 128 years. And that kind of blew my mind. But we see people every day having to sell a lot of their livelihood that they normally wouldn't sell because of the drought. People are running out of water. Feed cost has just gone through the roof. And you should have said amen. But, but you know, we start wondering, where is God in this deal? Does God really care for us? Because it's real easy to be that armchair quarterback and sit there and go, if God really cared for us, He would be providing us rain. Here in the news just this past week, we, we're sitting down here, you know, God has put us on broil in the oven and forgot about us. And up there in Missouri and Kentucky, they're washing away. So we start thinking about why won't God do something and maybe our trust in God fades just a little bit. And I could go on and on and on. I could give you scenario after scenario after scenario 
but all I would do would be bore you to tears. But I could give you all of these different examples of times in our lives when, when we question our trust in God. We question if He really loves us, if He really cares for us when we need Him the most. Am I wrong? Probably not. Because we begin to wonder, what is God doing? Where, where are, 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 are we going in this? Why are we having to deal with this? Can God really take care of us? Well, let me tell you this today. Whatever season you have been through in your life, whatever it might have been, it more than likely will not be the last time that you struggle with your trust in God. You know, thankfully, the work of Jesus is more powerful than our questions. More powerful than our doubts. Folks, Jesus is for us. We can trust that He is with us, bringing us to the Father. No matter what situation we may face today. So let's talk about a life of trust. Now, here the past couple of weeks, we've talked a lot about Peter. A lot of us can identify with Peter because we can kind of see ourselves in Peter. And he, he's a lot like us. And, and in the 13th uh, chapter of John, if, if you're there, uh, in, in last week's message, Jesus had delivered a very profound statement about loving one another. But, but I want you to back up. Are y'all in the 13th chapter? Amen? Amen? I want you to look in verse 33. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, Whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. But let me stop right there. Peter got a hold of what Jesus said there in verse 33. He got a hold of that. Whether I go, you cannot come. Then Jesus went on in verse 34 and said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to the other. Now, in other words, what I want you to see here is, before we read further, Peter pushed right past this new command in verse 34 and 35 that Jesus gave. In other words, it just kind of went in one ear and right out the other. It just kind of went right over his head. And, and so whenever uh, he asked Jesus, and we're fixing to read this, he asked Jesus where you're going, it led Jesus to talk about his father's house. But here's the thing. Peter was more focused on what God was going to do than what God wanted him to do. And sometimes that's what happens to us. We're so focused on what God is doing, we forget about where God wants us to be. What God wants us to do. 
So, I ask you now to look with me in uh, verse 36, and let's talk about today trusting God as we go. Trusting God as we go. Look in verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? In other words, where are you going? Going back to verse 33. Thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? But then I want you to look what Peter says. He says, I will lay down my life for thy sake. A very profound statement he just made. Now, let me tell you this. Let me kind of interject here about that statement that Peter made. In our enthusiasm, it is easy for us to make promises, isn't it? We get excited about something and boy, we get our old mouth in gear and brain is not engaged and before we know it, we've made a promise and then we realize, ooh, I wish I hadn't said that. And that's kind of what we see here in Peter. But, but you see, here's the thing. God knows the extent of our commitment and God knew the extent of Peter's commitment. Paul tells us, Paul tells us this in Romans 12, 3. Paul tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Instead of us bragging about what we're going to do, we need to demonstrate our commitment to God step by step as we grow in the knowledge of God's Word and as we grow in our faith. Now here we also see Peter was like us in another way. He on impulse asked, why can't I follow you now? In other words, Lord, where are you going? Why can't I go with you? I will lay down my life for you. You see, Peter was so confident in his conviction to Jesus, or at least he thought he was, Peter believed that he could hold firm to the finish. Peter thought he could hold firm to his faith no matter what. But Peter was wrong. We too often think more highly of ourselves and of our strengths than we ought to. Lots of years ago, might near 40 years ago, I was working for a guy and me and him were a little bit on the chunky side, shall we say. Now I know y'all looking at me and seeing the great physical condition I'm in now would never believe that I was capable of being a little to the chunky side. So me and him decided we were going to start doing some pumps of mine. And, and lose some weight and get in shape. Well, we didn't spend a lot of money on all them fancy weights. We went to the scrap iron pile, Ted. And, and we got us a solid shaft about an inch in diameter, welded some flat metal on it, and got us two big old tractor weights and put on each end, bolted on each end, and we had some smaller little things, the weights that we could work out with, you know. Well, back in those days, you know, you had breakfast, dinner, and supper. That was before it went to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
And I'd been home and ate dinner and I got back and, and we even had that bench that you lay down on, you know, to, to, to bench press. Well, there I was by myself, made a rookie mistake. I got a hold of that weight and I lifted it off those hooks and down it came. And guess what? There I was. Luckily, another guy that worked there got back from dinner and he helped get it, or I'd still be laying there with that weight over me. But you see, I was 100% sure that I could handle that weight. I was confident that, that, that I could handle it. And you see, that's what we see Peter thinking here. Only Peter wasn't overestimating the strength in his his, his arms and his chest, he was overestimating his strength and his faith. He thought he could handle more than he could. And see, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we get like that. We, we want to kind of brag on ourselves and, and our ability to stand firm and we'll start bragging. It doesn't matter what happens to me, brother. I'm going to stay put. I'm not going to falter. I'm not going to waver. But then our commitment is not as strong as it should have been. And so here we see Peter's saying, I will lay down my life for you. Who hasn't been there? At some point, at some time, who hasn't been there? I'm sure we all believe that we were strong enough or good enough or brave enough or wise enough only to find ourselves trapped under the weight of our sin and our burden and our fear when we were challenged. Our abilities and efforts aren't enough, folks. We have to learn just like Peter had to learn that we can't trust in ourselves, but we can trust in Jesus. Alright, look on down there in verse... Uh, let's go to verse 38. Look what Jesus said to Peter after He says, I'll lay down my life. He says, Wilt thou lay down thy life... For my sake, verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Now look in chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see what Jesus was doing here was Jesus was addressing Peter's overconfidence. And he was giving his confidence a good shaking is, is what he was, was doing. And you notice Jesus asking him, he says, will you lay down your life for me? You, you can almost de de detect a bit of sarcasm there. And, and then he goes on to tell Peter, he says, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Wow. Roy, do you think that was a little brutal? Told Peter. I'm sure it rattled his cage just a little bit because Peter honestly believed that he would fight to the finish. 
That he would fight to the death if somebody tried to take Jesus from him. But Jesus knew that when the chips were down, when the pressure came, Peter would deny even knowing him. Peter believed that he was strong enough. He believed he was passionate enough. That he was experienced enough. That he was dedicated enough to hold on to his faith in Jesus no matter what. But Jesus knew otherwise. Jesus knew better. And Jesus was right. When the time came to stand up for for Jesus, what did Peter do? Peter fell. And he fell hard. Not once. Not twice. But three times. And when that rooster crowed, He remembered what Jesus had told him. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew and you look, I think it's in chapter 26, verse 75, it reports there that when Peter heard the rooster crow and remembered what Jesus said, that he went out and wept bitterly. Now, the burning question of the day So what should Peter have done? What should each one of us do when we find ourselves falling and coming up short? He should have simply trusted Jesus. Yes, Peter thought he was certain that he would lay down his life for Jesus if if the need was to arise. That was his line of thinking. But Jesus knew better. And when Jesus told Peter, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later, he, he, and he would do that. He, he, you know, it, it points to the idea that Peter's faith wasn't strong enough to follow Jesus at that particular moment. Not follow Him to death. He he would however do so later. Why? Because Jesus would go to the cross and take Peter's sin on Himself. Just like He took our sins on Himself. He would die Peter's death on the cross just like He died each one of our deaths on the cross. And He would raise Peter to new life through the resurrection just like He did for us. You see, Jesus was strong enough to defeat death and and not just for Peter, but for everyone else. Every one of us. Jesus made it possible for Peter to follow Him just like He made it possible for each one of us to follow Him to heaven at some point later on. So, what was Jesus' message to Peter? Trust me. Trust me. You know, Jesus had just delivered this very unsettling prediction to Peter. But Jesus also called the apostle to trust. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do today, is to trust. Peter would fail in his own confidence. And so Jesus says in verse 
uh, 1 of chapter 14, he says, Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Our hearts don't need to be troubled, folks. Even when we don't understand why we're going through whatever we're going through. We don't need to be troubled. What do we need to do? What did, what did Jesus tell Peter? He said, you believe in God, believe in me. We need to believe in God. Why? As I said last week, because God's got this. Amen. God has got this. Jesus' word shows us the way to eternal life. Though unseen, His words is secure. Just as secure as, as our trust in Jesus. But then look on down in verse 2 of chapter 14. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. Your translation may have the word rooms there. Or dwellings. That's what word, the word mansion means. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then look what he says. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus once again showed us. He's showing us. He was showing uh, His disciples. He was sharing with them that He would soon be leaving. And, and He was preparing His disciples for His departure. And He gave them another reason not to be troubled. He promised believers a permanent residence in His Father's house. Now, I want you to fully understand what Jesus is saying here. He said His Father's house contains many rooms or many dwellings, or many mansions. Now, what, what do we think of when we think of the word mansion? We think of this great, giant, humongous house. Lots of rooms. Carolyn is sitting there going, oh no, more vacuuming and dusting. No! But when we also think of this giant elaborate house, we think of wealth. And we think of riches. But really, that misses Jesus' true meaning of what He's trying to tell us. Listen closely. The emphasis that, that Jesus was placing was on the location of His Father's house. You know, and that location is where? In God's presence. God has an eternal place for believers in Him. And that should be all that matters to us. The grandeur of heaven is the presence of God. God is that mansion that Jesus is talking about. So let's not fix our minds on, on, on receiving this mansion in heaven. Let's not fix our minds on some glorified brick and mortar castle and think that that's what's going to make heaven so special because it's not. Jesus is a preparing a place for us to dwell with Him, to be in His presence for all eternity, and that is the ultimate benefit of heaven. 
We're in the very presence of God. We're in the very presence of Jesus again. You know, we can try to picture heaven in, in our human terms, but the Bible tells us that our eyes have not even seen anything here that corresponds to heaven. I'm reminded of the story of the man that died and he went up to heaven. And he got to the pearly gates and Peter wasn't there. So he thought, well, I'll just take a few minutes and look around till he comes back. And he found this big old pile of gold laying there. And when Peter came back, he tells Peter, you know, he, he thinks he's found and got a lot of money now and he's got it made. And he tells Peter, hey, look what I found while I was waiting on you. And Peter goes, oh, our delivery of paving material is here. I said, that, that, that delivery is our paving material. Okay, maybe that one don't work so well. Look in verse 3, chapter 14. I had to break y'all up a little bit. Y'all was getting way too serious. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Did you get that? Did you get that? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there may ye, there may ye be also. Now, the statements that we see in verses 2 and 3 summarize the upcoming death of Jesus. Not just His death, but His resurrection, His ascension, and His return. And it's all of those events that are essential in making heaven a reality for us. Jesus promised there to come back for His followers and accompany them beyond death and bring them into the presence of eternal reward. You see, folks, what I want you to see here is this. No mansion that we could even imagine, no matter how grand, how glorious, how nice we make it, could possibly be better than dwelling in the presence of Jesus. That, that is our reward. That is our reward. You know, Jesus just told Peter that He would prepare a place for him. Preparing a place doesn't mean that Jesus was using His earthly carpentry ability Building Peter a mansion, you know, like he's under some deadline. That's not what that means here. Preparing a place has nothing to do with the level of rewards in heaven. It has nothing to do with styles or sizes of houses based on our spiritual devotion. Jesus' redemptive work through the cross and resurrection was the way He was preparing a place for us. Jesus' death on the cross is another way. He was preparing that place for us in heaven. But Jesus also promised something else there. He said, I'll come again. I'll come again. Now, now you look at that, you look at that, and you think, okay, that means that He's talking about His second coming. But what I want you to do today, and you hear this so much, I want you to think outside the box. Because I'm going to share with you some thoughts that I think. 
And I want you to think outside of the box here for just a minute. Folks, it's not unreasonable to think that me have that he may have been talking about coming at the very moment every believer faces death. Now again, listen to me. Timing is not the main issue. The focus is on the person who accompanies the person through death. Not the place where they're going. Not the time when they get there. You know, when they arrive. Hear me on this. No servant, no angel, or anyone else, in my opinion, comes for believers in the moment of death. Jesus Himself will come for His followers. Jesus would make it possible for His believers to be with God the Father. And if you think about it, that was Jesus' very mission from the very beginning. That's what He came down here for. You know, someone once told me that they thought whenever a person reaches death that it's not Jesus that comes for them, but it's an angel that will escort them to heaven. I beg to differ. And the reason I beg to differ, what did Jesus say right there? He said that... Sorry. I thought I had my... Anyway... Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place, and if I go to prepare a place, then I will come back. That where I am, you may be also. Now I want you to think about that. Where in there does it say that someone else was going to come? It doesn't. He doesn't say He's going to send someone else. He said that He will come and receive us. Now look in verse 4. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, verse 6 is one of the most well-known verses that you find in the Bible. But it is also one that causes a lot of conflict. When Thomas asked how the disciples could know the way, what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me ask you something. Is that clear enough? Is that clear enough? You got that? No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That means no one finds full satisfaction except through Jesus. No one finds their ultimate hope except through Jesus. No one finds 
his or her way to heaven except through Jesus. And that's precisely why you hear me say over and over and over again, you can't get to heaven without Jesus as your Savior. And those words were very significant for the disciples and they're very significant for us to, to as well. No one comes to the Father except through Me, Jesus said. Unfortunately, there is a bunch of people that do not accept that truth. You know, I have family and friends. And maybe you do as well. Who, who believe that there are many ways to God. This, this world is full of people that think they can do enough good that they can be good enough that they're going to get into heaven. For goodness gracious sake, the last, where does it say that? That's the reason I ask you, is verse 6 clear enough for you? And then there's those that don't believe they need a heavenly Father. Because they don't believe there is a Heavenly Father. In fact, some, some believe that there's nowhere to go after you die. That when you die, that's it. It's over with. How sad is that? For them, this life is all there is. And then there, there are, of course, those that believe right here, right now, where we are is heaven. How many, how many of you have heard heaven on earth? Goodness gracious sakes alive, Gerald, I hope this ain't all there is. But there is. And, 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 and you know, here, here's the thing. They believe that this is heaven. All you can say is you poor soul. Because down deep for these people, there's an emptiness because they believe that life just simply ends. Jesus says we have only one way for that emptiness to be filled. We have only one hope for life beyond this life. Only one truth gets people to God that they were created to enjoy. I'm sure that, that we all know, if I ask every one of you, I bet you you can name someone that you know refuses to believe. They simply refuse to believe. That truth weighs very heavy on us as, as we think of those that we love that don't have any kind of love relationship with God or with Jesus. Folks, I want to tell you right now, there are people that will read the internet and believe every word of it and read the Bible and think it's a big fat lie. But it's a comfort for us when that truth is aimed at ourselves. You see, Jesus made this, this, this statement to the disciples to encourage them. And to encourage us. For those of us in, in, that, that are in Christ. This is a promise that we have 
what, what most people want and truly need. Jesus says, if we know Him, we know the Father. And in that statement, there's no better news for the heart than that right there. So we're talking about living a life of trust. You know, in today's world, it's very hard for us to place our trust in anything. We often doubt what we see online. We often doubt what we read in the newspaper. We doubt when we're listening to the news, if we're getting the news or we're just getting what they want us to hear. And even sometimes in our own hearts. But we've been reminded in this passage today that Jesus is trustworthy in every way. So what I want you to do, and I want you to think about I want you to make a list of the promises that we've talked about today. And, and allow those truths to encourage each one of us to trust Jesus even when we feel unsure. Even when we simply don't understand. Because Jesus Himself told us that He is the only way. Not one way in many. The only way to God the Father. I hope you believe that. I hope that you trust in God all the way. Because He's the only one that's trustworthy. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You for this day that You've blessed us with, Father. We thank You for this time that we have spent in Your Word, hearing Your Word declared. Father, we just ask that You will guide and direct us. That You will lead us in the direction that we need to go. And Father, know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we can trust You. No matter what situation we face, no matter what we're dealing with, we can trust You. Father, thank You so much for loving us. Thank You for sending Your Son to take our sins and die on the cross. And to go to that grave and ascend to heaven, Father, to show us that there is a way to eternal life. That we can have a heavenly home. Father, just forgive us where we fail You. Guide and direct each one of our lives, Father. Continue to protect us in this very challenging time that we live. Father, again, I ask that You be with those not with us today. I ask that You be with all the folks that we have on our prayer list, all the different situations that we have on our prayer list. And Father, that You'll just move in a special way and those needs will be met. And certainly, Father, we have a need. We, we have a need for rain that only You can provide. And we ask that You bless us with some rain that we so desperately need. So, Father, just watch over us and care for us. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen.